This is Going the Ultra Mile. I'm Keelan Harrington and my guest today is Tracy Schmidt. Now, Tracy, I'm really delighted to have on the show because she's an incredible human being. We have a lot of incredible human beings. I always say it's an honor and a pleasure, but I really do mean it when it comes to Tracy. Okay, She has been in Oprah Magazine. She busted Uber into Canada. She's shared stages with Dr. Phil. She's a world-class athlete, having been in the Olympic competitive grounds on all sorts of stages. And I let her get into that more in a moment. She's a humanitarian, a best-selling author, and an all around fantastic, excellent human. Tracy, welcome to the show and thank you so much for taking the time and coming on. Oh, Keelan, I am humbled and honored to be on the Ultra Mile with the ultimate Ultra Miler himself. What a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, no, likewise, likewise. And we were talking a bit before the podcast and we were giving each other a sense of uh, some background information. We've been on each other's radars for a while, but for the audience listening, I mean, you've got a range of other accolades. Could you fill in some blanks a bit on what I missed out? Because you you have an incredible amount of achievements. Oh, <laughs> I'm, you know, I was so blown away you know how i got on to oprah which you were mentioning was because i was on some docks in miami and what your viewers don't know about me is that i was born a four-way amputee and so here i am without my legs above knees and missing both my hands and there's all these super gorgeous models with makeup and hair and lipstick and i'm in my sailing shirt and baseball cap on the dock and i'm like manhandling this boat and all over the dock is a whole bunch of men it's a very male dominated sport so i'm i'm a tiny woman and i'm missing my arms and legs in amongst and holding my own and and directing all these guys around with a hoyer and they're like she's got to be in on this article because they were talking about raw beauty and so there's these nine models and then me that looks a little bit like a, a drowned rat. And the reason that I was there is I was pursuing my Paralympic dream. And I ended up from pursuing a Paralympic dream to being in Australia, your second home away from home with 27 able-bodied men and only three women. And everybody had their hands and their legs. And here's me without my hands and my legs. And even if I was last, I would have been 30th out of 30 in the whole wide world, but I was lucky enough to get seventh in that Olympic class regatta qualifier and, it, and, and life rolled from there. You know, it doesn't surprise me. And I talk to a lot of high performance people and something that I nearly have to say all of the time you know, success is the measure of the individual. You know, it's not about it's not about being a, a world class athlete or or being a, a a millionaire entrepreneur. But I think success is, you know, the measure of the individual going. This is what's important to me, and I am committed to this, and I'm putting everything into achieving it, because whichever path it is that's successful, it always seems to me that when you act out your truth. It's the best version of life you can have. You know, you don't know how it's necessarily going to go. And we don't know what that path's going to look like. But again, Nietzsche said it very best. He said, uh, you know, when you find your why, you can bear almost any how. And that's oh. like a mantra of mine. Um, I, I really 
since I heard it, it's it's resonated with me. And again, reflected in your story, no different to all these other people I've had the privilege of speaking with, you were doing something that was um, important to you. And by pursuing that, these opportunities, your path of how started to open up. And there's a lot of people, especially now, and I think it's important to say this, going through these challenging times. So, you know, talk a little bit about calling a spade a spade. You know, being a four-way yeah. amputee, it's not exactly the first thing that comes to your mind that I'm going to go and I'm going to do this, you know, crazy athletic shit that normally it, <laughs> it considered <laughs> difficult to do uh, if I have my hands and my legs. So there you are and you're going, okay, I'm going to go do this. Take me through that process. How do you overcome the enormity of that challenge that the distance between where you were and what you wanted to achieve, how that didn't crush you. I think that'd be a good lesson to bring across to other people, um, you know, whatever they're trying to apply it to in their life. And, you know, of course I didn't do that journey alone and I'm so lucky that, you know, someone that's on my lifeline is the ultra miler like you, that we are in each other's world. And, and I remember I was in uh, San Diego at a big, North American regatta. And I went there after finishing a job that I loved. I remember being really emotional in a parking lot. And I'm like, okay, what you focus on grows. What's going to pick me up? And so I found this sailing race in San Diego because in Canada, there were no sailing or skiing or pick me up weekends. So I jumped on a plane. I went to San Diego and I was a recreational sailor. I didn't even know that sailing for people with disabilities, Paralympics, existed because it hadn't in my youth. It was fairly new to the scene. Uh, it came later on in the Paralympic world. And while I was there, Hurricane Sandy hit and it devastated homes that got washed away in Rhode Island. The New York subway system got completely flooded. It was massively damaging. But, and I was in the air on an airplane flying home from this super exciting regatta that was supposed to be a stress reliever trip. And I thought I was gonna die because of the turbulence in the air of Hurricane Sandy. And I decided in that moment, you know, if I live, I wanna pursue my Paralympic dream. And so the plane landed and I phoned everybody I knew right in the airport parking lot to figure out what was gonna make this happen. And everybody said, there's no way, right? You'd need $10,000 for a bow. You need 10,000 hours with a high performance Olympic coach. There's just no way. And even in the world of people with disabilities, people are missing a hand or a foot or maybe paralyzed from the waist down. Well, you know, as a four-way amputee, I call that paper cuts, right? <laughs> they're, they're, and so even in the world of people with disabilities, I'm I'm on the extreme end. And, and I said, you know, thanks so much, but that would be impossible unless, and they're like, there's just no way. I said, well, so let, just humor me. If I had a magic wand, what would it take? And they said, you would need a gold Olympian in your pocket 24 seven, not even a Paralympic high-performance coach. You'd need gold Olympian. And there just aren't any. And I said, Thanks so much. And I hung up the phone and I found out that there was a man named Magnus Lidgedal in my, 
Miami, Florida, and I'm up in Toronto. And I put everything I owned on the internet, my bed, my wall unit, anything that didn't fit in my car, I tried to sell off or donated. And, and I, in the conversations with my family and friends, they all thought I was going through a midlife crisis. And, and, and nobody was supportive of the journey at this point. They thought I was crazy. They said, well, if you do this, we're not helping, we're not funding, you're on your own. Like, so, so remember, I'm like, without my legs on getting my tea kettle in my car, right? Like this is, this is a big serious deal. And five days driving down alone in my car, figuring out how to fill up my gas tank, you know, and you bum shuffle out and bum shuffle back. And okay, I got to put this in over my head. And people showed up along the way. You know, they saw me putting out my all and help me fill my gas tank. But you know what? I could do it. But when people see you jumping in and doing your all, Sometimes you're lucky enough that they show up. And sometimes I was lucky enough that they did not show up. And when I got finally down there to the, the area where Magnus Ligidal, the only gold Olympian in all of North America at the time, he wasn't there. But the, but the boatyard was called Shake-A-Leg. And so I made that mean I was supposed to be there, right? The girl with no legs. <laughs> So I hid my car yeah. between two multi-million dollar yachts and I slept in my car that night and I was defeated, right? Five days of packing and five days of everybody yelling at me and five days of driving down there alone in this car. And then he's not there. And now I'm sleeping in my car because I used up all my money to pack up my life. And I wake up with the dawn at 530 in the morning. Guess who's washing boats? at 5 30 in the morning and so i run over to him like i head over to where he is my my version of running and not your ultra miler running mind you like yourself and magnus is washing boats right I'm like magnus magnus Magnus, i'm chasing from toronto i want to pursue my paralympic dream i'm so sorry that i was a little bit harassing phoning you linkedin tweeting facebook email like I tried you every which way and upside down and backwards. And, and I know you never answered now here I am, but I need you to know I'm Tracy from Toronto and I want to pursue my Paralympic dream. <gasps> and I was met with a whole lot of silence, right? Cause he's, yeah. he's used to training a bunch of gold Olympians, right? People that have already shown potential in national and international and North American regattas. And he's got a way different headspace than I do. I'm so outgoing. I was kind of like donkey and he was kind of like Shrek, right? Like this big ogre. <laughs> and he just wants me to go away as I'm jumping up and down. And, and I realized I was all like me, me, me. This man here is washing boats. So I like I took a reset and a step back and I picked up a sponge and I started washing and waxing the boat with him. Well, I ended up like karate kid washing and waxing his boats and running errands for him for three months, hiding in his boatyard, sleeping out of my car, eating Cheerios for three months before Magnus finally said, come on, let's go sailing. 
And so it certainly wasn't something that happened overnight, but that's how our relationship started. That's an incredible uh, series of events to take place. <laughs> and not, again, not, not even surprising though. I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, the, the archetypical uh, hero's journey, you know, you start out, you're the fool, you have to do new things. So you're a fool before you can become your own savior and learn the things you learn and get out the other side and return the hero. You know, it's a, it's, it's a very typical version of that story. And I don't think people really truly understand and, and, and get how difficult the beginning of these journeys are, because like you said, it was about me as in from your perspective, it's, there's a, there's a, there's a huge training ground that takes place between where you came from and what people end up seeing of you now, because again, you have to rise above the typical human hubris, the mistakes, the challenges, and as well, um, you know, he needed to have a level of faith in you and seeing that you were action and not just talk because everybody can talk a good game, but playing it is a different story. And the three months in your car, the eating Cheerios, I mean, everybody has difficulties to some varying degree, but it is something. It is always something. I mean, you know, Dan Pena, the trillion dollar man, he was saying um, how he used to have to rob sashes of mustard and he'd stuff them in his pocket and be, you know, while he'd have his suits, but his suit was about as much as he owned. And, you know, they'd burst in his pocket and he'd be going into meetings and they'd be saying, oh, Mr. Pena, will we take your coat? And he's like, no, it's okay. I'll keep it on. And it's like, you know, 50 degrees <laughs> boiling and he's keeping it on to hide the mustard stains <laughs> in his pocket. Or, you know, whoever it is, whatever the case is, but it's it's always that kind of a story. And it's yeah. it's not any different, but you have to want it. I mean, you have to really go for it and be committed. And I think that's something that's missing from today's society um, in not just metaphorical sense, but in personal relationships, in business, is that word commitment, because there are some games you don't get to play them unless you go all in. Because if you leave a back door open, you will use it because it's a hell of a lot easier to blame someone else or an external circumstance for something going wrong other than facing the hard reality of I fucked up and this is on me and I'm accountable. And I think what you did is you took full accountability for your life. Ergo, it was not the way you wanted it. There was no man on a white horse coming to save you. Yeah. Nothing was going to make it happen. And you went, okay, what do I do? And you also did the most difficult thing. You went against the dominant thinking of your closest family, friends, colleagues. And yeah. that is what I think is probably the bravest act of courage anybody has to act out in order to create the life they want. Because you know what? You probably were nuts. You know, you probably, <laughs> it, it, the odds were stacked against you. I mean, let's yeah. just be realistic. It's like being dealt a hand of cards. You were not dealt aces. It was, you know, twos and threes, but you made the decision with yourself. You had only one option and that was to play the hand you have. And it might not be to win and it might have been painful to play it, but that was your best strategy and you went first. And only by doing it did you then move into another realm that opened up another opportunity for you. So that's like 
first of all, hat off to you for doing it because, you know, it was difficult. Let's just say that probably <laughs> is the easiest way to cover it. It was difficult. Yeah. But now you've done it and here you are. So you went, this is how you got started. You achieved all these phenomenal things. Um, talk me through a little bit about what that was like for you, you know, transitioning from, say, old life to where you are now. Is there any particular moments in there you could speak to that were uh, defining for you? And I think, you know, that courage of you jump in, even when you don't know how, like, where does that come from? When, when I started skiing, I'm also, you know, I got a bronze medal in downhill alpine skiing. And, and when I started with that, with no arms, no legs, they had no idea how are you going to ski? And I wasn't going to figure it out sitting on a couch at home, right? You don't Google that. There wasn't anybody. I was the first four-way amputee to be a downhill skier and the first scuba diver and the first four-way amputee to climb the Himalayas of Nepal, the largest mountains of the world. And, and so these were all things that had happened even before I pursued this journey that ended up in World Cup Olympic class regattas, right? There was 136 able-bodied regattas on top of Paralympic trials for London and Rio. And, and so I think I was very lucky to be born with a disability because people do say no and people do underestimate. And I do wanna you know, reflect that it's out of compassion sometimes that people are tough love, like that's impossible, or there's no way, or you shouldn't do that, or you're too small, or you're too tall, or black, or white, or lesbian, bi, gay, trans, queer, or with a disability. When people are, are hard in our lives, it's because they feel like they're protecting us when they say these things. And I know that I had to just get out there and try the skiing. And we wiped out a lot, and we tried sit ski, but with no hands, I wiped out, and, and we were sitting on a bench, and I had my legs off and my ski instructor was a big burly guy like you. And he had his ski boots off and my young mind, I inappropriately was thinking, holy cow, he's got big feet in his ski boots. And that's what we ended up doing. We ended up putting my thighs in men's ski boots backwards because you need to be in that skier's tuck position and I didn't have toes and boots are angled. So sometimes you got to mm -hmm. jump into life with those backwards boot solutions that you're not going to find unless you just get out there and get started, right? I knew I didn't know how to sail World Cup, but I had to just jump into it. And, and, that, and, and that started from being a little girl in kindergarten as a four-way amputee having to prove something to the world. Yeah, the it's incredible how you said the whole well, you just went for it. You did it and by putting your by putting your thigh into the boot, you found a solution and again, you don't get a map with those things and you don't. And I mean, it's with nothing. You don't get a map how to navigate through life. You know, I don't, if you're born with all the greatest fortunes in the world on a six-figure bank account and you have all your limbs, but somebody throws you into a horrible situation where 
I don't know, you're being bullied or the, the media or the press take something out of context about you. You don't get a roadmap how to deal with that. And the only person that's going to do it is you. And the the the, the other side you said about um, you were lucky to have the people around you and that they were trying to protect you. I also think there's another version of it. And you can tell me if you've had this experience or not, but I think when people can't see themselves doing something, they can't see you doing it. So it's like if you were to turn around and say, I'm going to run 100 miles, most people would say, no, you can't. And then it's even more justified in their mind or rationalized rather, because they're saying, well, you really can't because you're a four-way amputee. So of course you can't. And it's it's kind of like that breaker of reality. I don't have to face myself by assuming you can't do this. And I'm not saying that it's done maliciously or in a bad nature, but I think fundamentally, more often than not, people don't see themselves as capable. Therefore, they find it hard to believe someone else is capable. Yeah. And then they, I think that you hit the nail on the head times 10. And so in your case, I mean, you have a son, so you want to run 100 miles, so you need somebody to babysit your son. But because they can't see themselves doing it, and you're saying you want to do it, and they're like, oh, you're, you're too burly to be a runner, right? If that's how they feel. But you know what makes you able to do it is if they're willing to babysit your son while you run or while you train. But they won't because instead of running and practicing being your roadblock, it's other people that put roadblocks in your way because they can't see themselves doing it. And so now they're not going to, they could very happily babysit your son, but because they're not on board with your dream, they also end up being roadblocks. Like I, people, sailors, Olympians, they all had hundreds of people around them that were trying to help them fix a boat or improve a boat, but, or, or put their boat in the water. I might help 20 sailors crane in their boat, but when it was my turn, nobody did because they don't want me to be heartbroken when I don't succeed. So they're not gonna help me get to the start line with my boat. So I was also responsible with my peers with disabilities or other sailors that I'd supported even, and certainly my family. A lot of people had a lot of family, brothers, sisters, parents, friends around them that were part of their pit crew. Well, I had no pit crew and no allies in the sailing world. So I had to get my boat in myself, but I learned a lot about it. But I think, so I think you're the nail on the head. And I learned that how to deal with naysayers and, and it, the, the, so here's where the first no, the biggest no that taught me for the rest of my life, including during this pandemic, was the first day of school. And I am four or five years old. I'm five years old and I'm facing the principal. And all summer, my mom said, you get to go to school today. And the principal looks at us and says, I'm sorry. Tracy can't go to this school. And, and it's the 70s, there aren't educational assistants, support workers, kindergarten helpers. There's different names around the world, but that first year of school where there's sometimes an assistant in the class didn't exist in the 70s. And my mom could have been all mama bear. And this is how a lot of us can handle our naysayers. And sometimes people say no, and we might be like, what do you mean, why, right? And you have every right to, Right? No wonder a mom would protect their five-year-old little girl, but she didn't. She just said, how come? 
And because she was friendly and eye contact and nice voice tone, he wasn't defensive. And he explained, he's like, well, you know, Tracy doesn't have her hands, so she probably can't tie her shoelaces at recess. And Tracy doesn't have her legs, so how's she going to go to the washroom by herself? And there's one teacher and 35-year-old kids and no helpers. And so my mom, she really listened, right? She asked how come, and she really listened, and she heard he was worried about being stuck with me. So she says, I understand. Can you give me just one week to try to find a school more suited for Tracy? And if it doesn't work out, no problem. We'll go to this other school. But since we're here today, can we just try? So, so of course, the principal, he's kind of, now how does he say no to that? So he says, Sure, but on Friday, you got to go to another school. My mom says, thank you very much. My mom and I walk around to the side of the school where the kindergarten kids let in. That's what it's called in Canada. And we're where all the kids are in the playground, in the, in the back recess area. And we can see hundreds of kids. And my mom's looking out smiling because she got me in the door. But then she gets this look of panic on her face. And she dropped to her knees on the cement in front of everybody. And I'm five years old and I have no idea why my mom's on the cement. And she grabs my arms, you know, the, the 10 finger, five fingers on this arm, five fingers on this arm, the super parental grip hold where she's holding both my arms on my sides. And she's on her knees and she's looking me eye to eye. And she says, Tracy. It's really important that nobody's left behind. I'm five years old. I have no idea why my mom is so intense. And, and, and I don't realize what she means is me not left behind. Like, don't let yourself be left behind. Because if you're not on recess, you don't get to stay at that school. But that's not what she said, right? I don't realize if I don't get to recess, I don't get to stay at that school. I go to run into the playground and I look up and guess who's there? The principal. He had followed us around and he saw my mom on her knees, hold my arms, look at me eye to eye saying nobody left behind. So now the principal's eyes are all welled up and he doesn't want to send me away on Friday. So fast forward to recess time and he runs outside to see if I made it outside because then I can stay. I yeah. didn't make it. I wasn't there. So he goes inside to find my kindergarten teacher because he doesn't know what to tell my mom. He's got to explain it. And he asks her, couldn't Tracy tie her shoelaces? What happened? And the teacher's all confused. And she says, Tracy was the first one to tie her shoelaces. What? So well, how come she wasn't outside? And she says, oh. Her little friend couldn't tie her shoelaces. It turns out none of the 30 other kids could tie their shoelaces. So by the time I tied 30 shoelaces, the recess bell had gone off. You know, you're in Ireland right now. And what people don't know is that my mother is Liverpudlian. I have a, and my Nana and granddad are Irish. And so I had one of those tough love Irish mothers 
uh, that made sure I could tie my shoelaces. And I learned that day that That's no, N O just means K N O W, just means they don't know. The principal never said no again. He always said, I just don't know. That's a brilliant story. And <laughs> I really appreciate you sharing that because that's, um, it's an eye opener. It's an eye opener. You, you know, there's, a, there's something you said a little earlier and it reminded me of an expression. If you're not on the way, you're in the way. You know, you got to <laughs> get going, get with the program. And, uh, but that's, that's definitely super that you had a mom like that because mm. something I'll, I, I'll say quite a lot is show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Yeah. And another one is I'm a firm believer that, um, you know, bluntly put parents, fuck kids up. You know, I, I can't say it any nicer than that. And children will repeat the patterns of their parents. If there's not good leadership and example setting, put in front of them now we all make mistakes and you're speaking to somebody that has made his fair share and i will continue to do them but you had a mom that really went out of her way to um to make sure that her daughter at least from what you shared was equipped to deal with the world you know and that's fantastic to hear that because you you'll often hear the the bitterness and the stories of resentment of why People um, have not had that experience and what was the terrible trauma that led to their downfall. But it was great that you had that. And like you were saying about this is even a bit before the podcast, uh, you know, you haven't had it straightforward and you've failed more times than you can count. But at least having it put to you that life is not meant to well make you happy, so to speak, but it didn't put you in a no pun intended because of your uh, sailing endeavors, but you were not in a shallow boat in rough water. You knew from the get-go, this is how it is, and I now need to navigate it as best as I can. I just think there's a great lesson in that, and to have had that from such a young age, I mean, is that something you had a lot of? I mean, would you say you had very good supportive parents? Is that something you had all your life? Well, and actually, when you first said, is that something you had a lot of, I thought you meant no, like they said no to skiing, no to sailing, no to school, no to swimming, no to yesterday at our famous coffee shop, Tim Hortons in Canada. Every time I try to get a cup of tea, I'm a teetotaler. They, they don't want to hand me the cup because they don't know how I'm going to hold it without my hands. So rather than just believing I can do it and handing me the teacup, they, 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 they look, they get scared, they shake their head, and then they hand it to some stranger behind me. Uh, or when they say, you know, I order, can I have a, a extra large steeped tea? They don't ask me, what do I want in it? They ask the person behind me that doesn't know me, well, what does she want in it, right? And, and I've got an MBA, right? I got a master's. I can tell you how much milk I want in my tea with or without hands. And so it is something I have a lot of where it's no. And I, when, when Magnus said no that day, I actually expect it. I expect my first response for everything is going to be no, because it always, almost always is. Even after climbing the Himalayas and World Cup sailing and and buying a cup of tea every day from the same place, right? It, it's almost always no. And I'm lucky that, yes, I had that tough love mom that taught me 
that even when they say no and oh, you really listen and you counter offer what they're saying, right? Mom didn't say she can tie her shoelaces. Mom listened, she heard he was stuck. And so she said, if it doesn't work out, no problem. She taught me to always ask how come. She got, taught me to reply with what they're stuck with, not what I'm stuck with. And you hang in there. And, and you know, when I was bullied on my street in my neighborhood and mom found me crying, she said, what's wrong? And I said, oh, the kids are teasing me. And her reply was, how's that working for you? And she shut the door. Right. And I could have made that mean that mom was mean or I could make that mean, OK, I have every right to cry and do nothing or I have every right to cry and I can do something about it. And so I did. Right. I looked around and I saw a skateboard and said, OK, I like to say I borrowed the skateboard. I remember I have no legs, so I, you know, I bummed myself onto the skateboard and I have no hands, but my one arm is a little longer than my left arm. So with my long arm, I sitting on the skateboard without my legs, I skateboarded over to where those kids were and I rolled up the hill where they were and they were all like, <gasps> with big eyes and, and I faced them and I was scared and I was scared when I faced those Air Canada pilots striking and I was scared when I faced City Hall when Uber was trying to bust into Canada. But I just like those kids, those bullies, I'm like scared out of my mind. But just like that guy with the mustard stained suit and he only owns one suit, you fake it till you make it. I took a deep breath. I made eye contact and I put on a smile, scared out of my mind. And I didn't know what to say. So I just sort of said, hi, I'm Tracy. Can I play? And and I expect a no, right? I expect that my first initiation is going to be some kind of resistance. And the bully said, the new kids always it, right? And, and I didn't know how I was going to play tag and run after them or how I'm going to play hide and seek with them with their arms and their legs. But with kids and with executives, you can't give them excuses about, well, I don't know how. So you just say, and I said, okay even though i didn't know how right and you just say okay and then you figure it out and and none of the kids left the grass hill nobody ran on the gravel driveway of the affordable housing neighborhood that i grew up in right they all stayed on the grass mm. and so i was able to run on the grass on my stumps on my knees and i was able to roll around on the grass and so it didn't matter whether you had legs or not, because we were all on the grass. So uh, yeah. uh, it, it was, I did have a tough love mother. Did I have people surround me that were supportive? Right, Magnus said no. Took me three months to just skin the surface of him starting to be on my journey. It was 2010, 2011, and it wasn't until December, 2015 that he really got into supporting my journey. Uh, it took a long time, not just three months in my car for the first day we got to say a deeper conversation. And same with my mom. So yes, I had support, but the people that were most effective at supporting me, Magnus, my mom, were very much the tough love approach. Expect no and don't give up. That sounds like a fantastic 
tool to be able to navigate life with in general, especially, I think a lot of people have that victim's mentality about things and the, oh, woe is me. And don't get me wrong, as I, I'm not naive to life. People have justified reasons for that. You know, you can be, everything is running smoothly in your life. You get axed off of your job. You've no income and suddenly the weight of the world is on your shoulders or whatever the case is. So that happens, but there's nothing that can be done about it other than like what your mom said, how's it working out for you? It's like, okay, I've got these reasons. They're legitimate, but none of this is helping me. How can I find a way around the problem? And that's at least the, the bare minimum you can do. And it might make life instead of hell, it might make it bearable and bearable is much better than hell. It's like, well, what can I do to stop making myself be so miserable? I can do these things. So fantastic that you had that. And the other thing as well with regards to the um, it taking time is the quick fix mentality. A lot of people have that as well. And I think it's driven on by social media and the whole uh, the dopamine effect of picking up your phone and uh, a lot of things we could go into, but I'm conscious of time. But you learned the patience and the value in knowing, hey, this isn't going to be a quick solution. And you, you're like you're sticking with it and it's the hard work and it's the entrepreneurial grind as I call it. And it's keep showing up and showing up. And I think that's the other thing. And you can maybe end on this. Would you agree that 90% of it is showing up and just, just showing up and being like, okay, I'm here to do my bit. 12,000%. I know that people have realistic reasons. I can't imagine what's going on in the world. When I hear your story of being in your car with your one and a half year old son, I mean, there's some pretty realistic reasons for you to feel hard for yourself and feel stuck. But I know, and I have every reason with no arms and no legs, if growing up in affordable housing, right? The limits with a B because I was born limb itless. I was born limitless. But we are all born limitless, <laughs> right? No excuses, no limits. I was just lucky enough to be born this way. I love it. I really do. It, you know, you're the, you are acting out that ultimate um, uh, phrase of it's not what happens to you, but it's what, how you interpret what happens to you. And I really, really do really love connecting with people like you. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I say things like it's an honor and a pleasure and I don't throw that around, but almost everybody that I end up connecting with, it really is because it's no accident that certain mindsets cross paths with them, each other. And it doesn't take away from the fact that I value it anymore just because I'm lucky enough that I get to sit and speak at least once a week with somebody like you. There's always something that I take out of it so I really, really do commend what you've done because it is amazing for any human being, man, woman, limbs, no limbs, tall, short, whatever the case is, you know, there's a range of things you've done that are phenomenal. And even just to overcome getting through childhood with the mindset that you have, that to me has been the biggest achievement, never mind any of the other things. So yeah. really, <laughs> I'm shocked I'm, and I mean shocked in a great way because it's important now more than ever for there to be these types of positive conversations. So when I say I'm shocked, it's because every day I'm getting calls or emails rather and, and messages from people that are in a very depressed, nihilistic place. And uh, my heart 
feels for them because it makes me sad to know that there's people that are feeling that way. I know what that's like. You know what that's like. You know, it's great to connect with someone like you then who's on that other end of the spectrum. I'm sure still chugging your challenges behind closed doors, but you have that real positive uh, yeah, mindset and it, it, it oscillates and, and I can feel that and I feel privileged that I get to speak to people like you. So thank you so much. Oh, Keelan, it's, it, the feeling is mutual. We fill each other's souls. I am so glad that the Ultra Mile and you are in my circle of thriving and stretching uh, and, and we drive each other up. Well, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And and that might be uh, that might be physical uh, more so than metaphorical. You know, I'm thinking, hmm, I got some climbs I want to do. I might have just found a climbing partner. Oh, I like that idea. My next yeah. big goal well, is we can uh, talk the North Pole. Oh, I, I share I share that with you. I share that with you. I've got a couple of I got a couple of things on my list. Um actually something I, I don't know if we touched on it or not in the next month or six weeks just climate dependent and and business and whatnot but uh, i'm aiming to go and break the record for the longest time submerged in ice with full body contact oh you're kidding well yeah i'm in this yeah, documentary so that's, that's with a famous man for ice man he's known as ice man uh i'm gonna have to try to work a few Vim introductions Hoff. behind the scenes Yeah. Well, uh, let's let's talk. Yeah. Well, let, let, let's let's have a talk about that uh, after the podcast. But listen, let's uh, let's leave it at that. I think you gave an enormous amount of valuable information. I know I definitely learned some um, great mind hacks. That's how I put it. I really like that story about the shoelaces. That 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 stuck with me. So thank you for sharing that. And uh, we'll catch up soon. Thank you all for listening. You can do it. No excuses, no limits. Take care, <laughs> folks.